You're listening to the Renovation Church Sermon Podcast. For more information on services and events at our Simpsonville and Greenville locations, visit us online at therenovation.church. Today's message is presented by our senior pastor, Jeremy Havlin. We're in the book of Ephesians. Today we're wrapping up. So if you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to turn to Ephesians. Help. Yes, Lord? Yes? <laughs> Even the lights are ADD this morning, so I don't know what's happening. Oh, I like it. This is going to be good. This is going to be fun. Um, Ephesians chapter 6. If you guys have your Bibles, we're going to be wrapping up our series in the book of Ephesians. Now, before I get into the message, can I just pause for a moment? And today is Veterans Day, and I'd love to just acknowledge, I know there's probably men and women in this room who have served our great nation in one capacity or another. And if you have, if you are a veteran, can I just ask you to stand so we can just thank you for your service to our country? Yeah, thank you. We do, and we do, we want to thank you for what you've done and how you served our country in this Veterans Day. So um, Ephesians chapter six. Now, before we get in there, what I want to do is I want to take us back to the beginning of Ephesians. There's a verse in Ephesians chapter one. It's actually chapter one, verse four. It's not going to be on the screen, but just it's kind of a, a beautiful verse that sets the tone for really the book of Ephesians. And I'm gonna read it to you just real quick. You don't have to go there, but I'm gonna read it to you. And then I have a point that I'm gonna bring from that to set us up as we dive into chapter six. Paul's writing, he says this. He says, for he chose us, talking about God, in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. So here's the simple thought, ready? Before the creation of our world, God had a plan. That's what Ephesians states emphatically. Before the world was created, before there was a universe with stars and planets, and then before there was plants and animals, before we existed, God in his infinite infiniteness had a plan. And you had to think the complexity of creation and God spoke it into existence and he ordered it into existence, how magnificent and unbelievable creation must have been. And, and in the midst of that, in the backdrop and in the background, before anything was created, God had a plan. And when you read Ephesians, that plan consists of Christ, Jesus, making atonement for our sins. And then it consists of us as followers of Jesus becoming the church and it consists of God redeeming our world, but this idea that in creation and how incredible, complex, and beautiful creation absolutely is. Now, if you've been at Renovation Church any length of time, and if you, if you haven't, you may not know this, but I love food. I have probably way more illustrations of food than any other pastor that I know. And this morning's no exception, except for normally my food consists of donuts when I do illustrations or something like that. Today, actually, it's healthy. I have right here in front of me the good old plum. Now, when I was growing up, when my parents would make me eat fruits and vegetables, I always loved when I had the option of getting a plum, stay at my grandmother's house. And when a plum was just right, oh man, it would be incredible. And so this one is on its way to being perfectly ripe, but it's like on the way there. Now, God created everything and he spoke it into existence. And you read Genesis and you can see that kind of play out. And this being one of the things that God created. Now, I'm gonna just take a second here and hold on. 
I just a gross sound for you, I know, but. <laughs> there it is. Now, the plum, in the aspect of creation, I'm not gonna eat all of it, um, just because some of you who have grossed out by the noise right there. The plum, inside of its plumness, this happened first service and I should have worked on this in between. The seed is like way further in there than, okay, I'm getting closer. No one panic. And there we go. Inside of the plum is the seed. And the seed of the plum, what I love about creation is God didn't just create and then recreate and then recreate. God created and then he imbued creation with the ability to carry on. So think about the complexity of that. He created something and then he made it so that that something that he created can continue on down the line. That's, that's creation. And what the Bible says is that God created things before anything was spoken, a plan was put in place. It's how much more God is than we could possibly imagine. Now, we, we know the story, Genesis 3, Adam and Eve sinned, and sin entered into the world, and everything broke. Everything that was good and right broke, and destruction and chaos entered. And even in that moment, the Bible says that God had a plan, and his plan was to redeem. Redeem, when you look it up, means to buy back. All the things that have been taken to buy back, to bring in, to, to, to reclaim. And so when we open up God's word, when we look in the book of Ephesians, what we're looking at is a God who before the foundation of the world had a plan in place. And that's just the simple plum to carry on. The question is, what about something more complicated like you and me? And if God can have a plan, what is his plan? And that's what Ephesians unpacks for us. And the reason why that matters is because as we get to Ephesians 6, we're gonna look at God, highlight some different areas and stuff like that. And we're gonna end up focusing a lot of our message on spiritual warfare, on the armor of God. But you're gonna see God's plan carry itself out in various ways. And I'm gonna leave right, right there as a reminder. Before anything was, God had a way. And if he has a plan for something like a plum, and if he has a plan for something as much as incredible as creation is, he has a plan for us too about how we should live and about how we should navigate the world that we are in. And remember, the world is a broken world, although we don't need, that's evident and obvious. But we need to remember that the world is broken and that in the broken world, God is at work bringing things back to himself. So, Ephesians chapter six. What is God's plan? How do we navigate through it? Starting in verse one, God's word says this, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with the promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy a long life on earth. Can parents just say amen to this? Amen. Glory. I should just get this printed out all over my house. I was thinking about this first service, but I was like, um, my mom is a godly, strong-willed woman. Can I just tell you something? I learned how to have a long life is to make sure mom was okay with things. Because if not, you are not gonna have a long life. And, and uh, anyway, my dad was awesome. He was quiet, but my mom, my mom was a godly woman. She loved the Lord and she loves fiercely and she's amazing. But I, growing up, 
My mom got her purse, purse sizes based on the spoon that she could get in there to spank me if I misbehave. Y'all, anyone? No? Okay. I know we're in a different era. I probably shouldn't even said spanking spoon. I want to get like eight emails. I grew up in that era. My mom's purse, literally, she's like, okay, this is good. I can fit the spoon right in here. Okay, focus in, Jimmy. Honor your, honor your father and mother so that things will go well with you. And then this passage of here, fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Man, the dynamics, and, and by the way, let me say this, that this part of scripture of Ephesians 6 is actually a carryover of what Paul's writing in, at the end of five. At the end of five, he's talking about the marriage relationship. And, and at the beginning of six, he's talking about uh, kids and families and parenting. And uh, man, I'm not gonna do chapter six justice. I encourage you to study this on your own. But he's talking about how to interact with each other and the complexities of relationship, especially in, in a broken world. Now, with me and my family, man, I would love my kids to memorize this passage of scripture. But growing up with any, uh, any kind of environments, like I know our kids, for example, like sometimes they just don't wanna do what they don't wanna do. So yesterday, our family, we decided to go take our annual family pictures. I have a 14-year-old, I have a 10-year-old, and I have a five-year-old. And the moment that we started to get ready to go take family pictures, my five-year-old was like, yeah, no, I'm not gonna do it. We're like, for honor your father and mother. He's like, yeah, no. <laughs> and so that didn't, didn't go so well. So we had to begin to corral my five-year-old to wanna take family pictures. So finally we get dressed, get, get them bathed, get them all ready for family pictures. And I'll, I'll show you, here, here, here he is. And that's the end, like, that's the end results, Right? We all want the smile, we want it on the card, we want everything to go well, but do you know how long it took to get to that? Because this little booger, let me just show some pictures here. Here he is claiming that his life is so hard because it's cold, and what you didn't see right before this is he's like pretending to shiver but not really shivering. And so the hardness of his life, we'll go to this next one, yeah. Now he's getting ridiculous because he realizes he can't escape it. This is him just, just being a little bit ridiculous. We'll go to the next one. Yeah. We ask for a smile, a smile, not a ridiculous take over the world scenario. Let's go to the next one. And then, so it had stopped raining and, but we were standing underneath of where like the roof passed it a little bit. And because it had rained, there were still drops coming down. So here he is, deeply suspicious at how dare we put him where drops of water might hit him and he might die. That's the look of what's going on here. He's like, why would you do this to me? And then I, have, I think I have one more. Do you see the deeply suspiciousness in the face? He's not buying what anybody's selling at this point. And what we want, man, can you just... <laughs> in a lot of ways, I just showed you that just because it highlights, man, sometimes man, parenting is just hard. It's just hard. And, and you wanna give tools and you wanna, you wanna have your kids to help navigate things in the right way. And so Paul writes here and he goes, kids, honor your father and your mother. And he says, fathers, don't exasperate your children. So he's given us guidelines and ways that we can interact with each other. Let's keep going though. Ready? Verse five. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if it were serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each of you for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them 
since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven. There's no favoritism with him. So let's just pause here for a moment. And how can we not acknowledge that the foundation of this country is slavery? And that somewhere in the context of the country that we live in, we believe that it was okay for one human to then own another human as property. And can I just tell you that is unbelievable levels of brokenness and sin. That is not God's plan for the world that we live in. And in Ephesians, when we read Ephesians, what's God wanting to do? He's wanting to redeem, to buy back all of the areas that have been broken. So in no way, shape, or form is Paul saying that slavery and and, and freedom between people is okay. He's not saying that. he's, he's, He's simply stating that in the world that is broken, how do we best navigate it where it is? And I just wanna say the impact and the depth of the pain of what slavery was in our country and is still felt today by generations of people is unbelievably painful. And that all of us, regardless of where we come from or what we've been, should pause to acknowledge the weight of what that is on our country and, and to see that somehow in the midst of the brokenness of what that is, that in that brokenness, that we, if we have made the decision to follow Jesus, that we have a part to play in helping to rectify the areas that have been done wrong, the damage. That the gospel is a redeeming thing and that how would we ever see that this is something that, that would look at and be like, it's okay. And in the state that we live in, you go back not too long ago and this was the mentality that, that occurred in our state. So when we read this passage of scripture, can I just say, It's not saying that this is okay. What Paul is just saying is he's acknowledging the world that's there. Now, what you have to understand is Paul's writing to the church in Ephesus, which is a Roman city and an important Roman city. And in this ancient world, to give you some context, what you need to know is that there was roughly, some people believe, up to 60 million slaves in the Roman world. And in Ephesus, there would have been a tremendous amount of them. And what's really unique about the early church This is the thing that that makes the early church so unique is that in the early church, it was one of the few places in which Christians, both slave and free, could come in and worship together on equal ground. That there was no pecking order of who was more important. No, that they actually stood and worshiped together. And that's what Paul says here. He goes, but notice that their master is your master as he is theirs. And in the interactions of these things, this is how we need to navigate it. So, so the early church was unique in that. The early church created an environment, hopefully that would lead eventually to that being something that would be done away with. The gospel and what Jesus came to do, remember the beginning, was all about God trying to redeem every area that had been lost to sin and to buy it back. And certainly in this area right here is no exception. And so what do we do? Well, with whatever we do, it says, serve wholeheartedly. Okay, God, I am yours and I am not mine. Help me to navigate these things as best as I can. So, talks about children, talks about the context of slavery in what it says in Ephesians chapter six. And then we're gonna get to verse 10 as we keep reading. We're gonna experience and see what Paul begins to write. So, verse 10 says this, and the tone switches or moves on in this and we're gonna get to the armor of God. In verse 10, God's word says, finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. 
Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For the struggle, our struggle, is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, and against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist and with the breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for the Lord's people. Pray also for me, that whenever I speak, words may be given to me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. And then Tychicus, the, uh, my, the dear brother and faithful servant of the Lord, uh, will tell you everything so that you may also know how I am and what I am doing. And I am sending him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that we may encourage you. Peace to brothers and sisters, love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with undying love. And then he wrapped, that's it. So I wanna peel back a little bit. I wanna go with the armor of God. And there's some things that I wanna be able to pull from this certain passage of scripture. Now I'm gonna say this, I can't do it justice in the time that I have. I only have a couple of minutes left before this message ends. So I wanna encourage you, there's an entire study done by a woman named Priscilla Shire called The Armor of God. It's a phenomenal study. We've used it here in the church several times. If you wanna go in depth to study The Armor of God, then I encourage you to get that book uh, by Priscilla Shire. It's incredible. But what I do wanna do is highlight a couple things to give you some things to navigate the world that we live in. Ready? The first thought is simply this. There's a battle and you have a part to play. There is a battle and you have a part to play. And this is really significant to me because remember that God's plan basically says that when everything after, before creation, that God knew it would be a way. And then Ephesians 2, 3, 4, and 5 is God explaining how that plan unfolds itself. But then we get to this part and he says, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against powers in a world that we cannot see. So up here on stage, I use a mic when I speak because if I didn't have a mic on, you would not be able to hear me well. My mic has the actual microphone, but it also has this mic pack right here. And I have it usually back here tucked away and you don't have to see it. But if I don't have my mic pack on and I turn it off, all of a sudden, ah, okay, you can, there it is, you can hear again. I can even say things quietly in a whisper. And you can hear it. But again, if it goes off. What I want you to see is this. Is that while we're seated in here, while I'm talking with you, this mic pack, you know what it's doing? Is it's taking my voice, it's digitizing it, and then it's sending my voice up there to the sound booth. That sound booth is being mixed. And then all of a sudden, my voice is coming through the speakers. All of which is happening and you don't see it happen at all. In other words, I'm speaking here, and you know that I'm speaking, but you have no idea the communication that's going on in between these two things that's invisible. Parents, have you ever turned your Wi-Fi off at the house? 
Have you ever, I, I remember I reset my router one time and my daughter who I hadn't seen in 10 days came out of the room. <laughs> what happened? My point is, is there's a whole lot of things that go on in our world that we cannot see and yet they impact our lives. Right now, my voice is being transmitted and you can't see that from happening, but yet it impacts the world that you live in. Paul is writing and he says this, there is a world in which you cannot see but impacts your life every day. In fact, there's a battle going on. I think a lot of you, even though you can't see it, there's something in your souls that knows, man, there's something not right about the situation. There's something not right about what's going on. There's a battle and you can't see it but you have a part to play. And if you didn't have a part to play, then God would not give you armor to be able to actually fight in that battle. Now, let me give you some thoughts about this. Ready? The first thought is this, is if you underestimate the enemy, you will never see a need for armor. I want you to, you just finished reading, ready? There's principalities and it says they have power. When Jesus was tempted by Satan in the wilderness, this is Jesus, the son of God. He referred to Satan as the prince of the air. So the enemy has real power. The enemy, it's not pretend power, it's real power. And it influences the world that we live in. It, 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 it has these, and we can't fully understand it this side of heaven, but this real power, principalities and powers, makes an impact into our world. And that's who the Bible says that we are fighting. And so if you underestimate the enemy, now here's the thing with power, ready? Power itself is not neutral. You can use power for good or you can use power for evil, but power is never neutral. And the Bible makes it clear, the enemy, the adversary has power. The other thing the Bible says about the enemy, ready, is he's wicked. The enemy absolutely hates you. And he doesn't operate by the Geneva Convention on how to do warfare. Why is it that the enemy always comes to you when you're at your weakest? Because he's wicked. He is seeking to destroy you. Do you know why, God, why, why the enemy wants to destroy you? Because you were made in the image of God and the enemy cannot destroy God, but the enemy certainly can come after you. And for the parents in this room, you might relate with this, ready? If you experience pain in your life, it's one thing. Like if, I, if something happens to me and it's painful, okay, I'm gonna endure, I'm gonna get through it. Do you know what's even more painful than when I experience pain? When my kids experience pain. And I believe one of the reasons why the enemy is so aggressive and wicked at attacking you is because even though he cannot destroy God, he can go after who God loves, which is you. And so the enemy is wicked. Here's another thing about the enemy, ready? The enemy's cunning. He's a con man. He disguises himself as an angel of light. He deceives. You will never put on God's armor if you underestimate the enemy. You'll never see a need for it. You'll just go about living your life as if, eh, whatever happens, happens. Hakuna Matata, and Paul writes and he says, be alert because the days are evil and the, the enemy is out there and he's coming after you. He's coming after your family. He's coming after your marriage. He's coming after your kids. He's coming after your health. The enemy is lying in wait and when you are at your weakest, all of a sudden he's there. It's no accident the enemy is there at your weakest because the enemy watches and knows. Your enemy is there, but, he, but here's the thing. So we could underestimate the enemy, but there's also a flip side of this, ready? Here's the thing. We can also overestimate the enemy. And when you overestimate the enemy, all you do is live in fear. I don't know if you are afraid of shots or not, like when you go to the doctor. They were never my favorite thing in life. So I remember we would live overseas in other countries 
And what would happen is we would live in those countries for several years and then we would fly back to the US. And whenever we came back to the US, it was time to visit the doctor. And all the shots that I didn't get while overseas, when we went to the doctor, I got all the shots. And I remember kid Jeremy flying back to the States, staying at granny's house, going to visit the doctor. And I knew that meant the US doctor, all the shots. When I was roughly six or seven years old, we're back in the States, maybe even five. My mom's overseas, or if not, I'd ask her uh, to, to remember it better. But maybe five, six, or seven. It was roughly that age. I go to visit the doctor's office. And before going to the doctor's office, I knew I was getting a shot, which that's the worst. I'm gonna get a shot. 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 Anyone else like that? Anyone? No? Y'all are all perfect? Okay. Go to the doctor's office, do the inspection, then he's like, okay, son, it's time for you to get your shots. The moment that he pulled out the shot stuff to really do it, I said, nope, not going to. I got up and I busted out of the doctor's office. Now, I was fast and wiry and I could move quick. My mom got up and said, Jeremy, the doctor got up. He was still like, what's happening? It, it was like, I wasn't like that ninja. Like, anyway, I bust it out there. I start running as fast as I can. I have a nurse try and get me, but I dive under her. All of a sudden, the staff in the office is starting to chase after five, six, seven-year-old Jeremy, and they can't get me. My mom's yelling at me. I, I leave the doctor's office. I go into the street, and I'm getting ready to cross the road when I hear my mom's voice say, son. Now, there's only a couple moments in my life in which I knew you don't mess with mom. Well, actually, I knew you always didn't mess with mom, but when I heard her say that, I knew... I'd better face the shot than her. Like there's a level of pain you don't want to endure. Son, she brought me back in. I got my shots and then later I got in trouble with mom. But the, the anticipation of the shot was worse than the shot itself. Like, oh, it's not that bad. I made it so much worse. When it comes to the enemy, we fall on two sides. We underestimate the enemy and we think, oh, no big deal. And then all of a sudden, you know what happens? The enemy deceives us and we find ourselves like, how did I get to this place? Because somewhere we stopped putting on the armor of God and taking it seriously. If it wasn't a big deal, Paul wouldn't have written it. And do you hear him say, the days are evil, so be careful what you do. We either underestimate the enemy or we overestimate the enemy. Can I just tell you something? We don't fight in our strength. We don't fight in our name. We put on the armor of who? God. And can I tell you, while we might not be stronger than the enemy, we know the one who is. While we may not be able to defeat the enemy, we know the name that's above all names. And then the Bible says that out of all the places that God chose to live, he chose to live right here. This is where God chose to make his home. Why? Because Ephesians tells us he wants to redeem. And inside of us, we carry with us something infinitely more awesome than we could imagine. The Holy Spirit is with us and he is among us to guide us and to lead us. So when you face something that seems unimaginable, you hold on to the promises of God, to the name of God, because greater is he who is in you than he that is in the world. So my point is, when it comes to spiritual warfare, don't fall on either side. Don't overestimate and live in fear and anxiety because God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and of a sound mind. But instead, don't also underestimate the enemy. Live knowing, okay, it's not me and my strength, but it's God and his. So we have to acknowledge that, number one, that there is a battle and you have a part to play. Now, you may not see the battle, just like you can't see the microphone working and talking back and forth. You may not be able to see it. It doesn't mean it doesn't impact your life. 
So I encourage you with those two things. Here's the next thing I want you to see, ready? Here's the next thought I have for you is simply this. It's gonna sound like an obvious statement and it totally is, but we fight where we stand. Yeah, thank you, Pastor, that's very deep. Thanks for that incredibly, I know this seems incredibly simple and yet it's not. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna unpack this a little bit. In January, I had the privilege of going to Saudi Arabia for an incredible trip of a lifetime. Myself, along with several pastors in the upstate, we got a chance to go over there to see where we believe the children of Israel were after the Exodus. An incredible experience. And it's the desert in Northwest, actually most of Saudi Arabia, it's desert. And I went there being excited about seeing some of the different sites that we were told might be there. Really cool experience. But something caught me off guard while in Saudi Arabia that I didn't expect. I was amazed at the beauty of the desert. And one thing in particular caught my eye. And it was the acacia trees. And let me show you a picture of an acacia tree. And they're literally everywhere in the desert. I mean, they're everywhere in the desert. And the acacia trees are significant because when you read the Bible, the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark which held the commandments of God and the presence of God was made out of acacia wood. And acacia trees, the wood are very, is very dense and very strong wood. And yet the desert was, was acacia trees were everywhere. And they're beautiful. And in the middle of a desert, you have trees that are green. And the significance of acacia trees is massive. Let me give you some thoughts of what they say. The, the people who live there say, if acacias go, no life will remain in the desert. They also said this, without the trees, there are no animals and no Bedouin. So these are significant. Now, the, what acacia trees do is that even though they're in the desert, it does rain from time to time. And when it does rain, because the ground doesn't absorb the water, it creates rivers almost out of nowhere. And those riverbeds, they're called wadis in, in Saudi Arabia, they run, they crop up out of nowhere and they run really quick. And all the acacia trees are planted on firm ground so that when it rains, they can absorb the water that goes in there. Now, if there's an extreme drought where, there, where, where, where there's no rain for a long period of time, acacia trees will actually go dormant for years and years and years. And then rain will happen, a river will crop up, and all of a sudden that dormant tree that looked like it was dead comes back to life again. It's really significant, really kind of cool. There's a biblical plant scholar. His name was, is, is Nogu Haravani. And in Jeremiah chapter 17, we'll leave this picture up. There's a passage of scripture. And I want, I want to read it to you, ready? Jeremiah 17, seven says this. But blessed is the one who trusts the Lord and whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and it does not fear when heat comes. It do, it, its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. Nogu Haravani, this biblical scholar, believes that in Jeremiah 17 that he's actually talking about the acacia tree. Now, when I hear in John, Jeremiah 17, I, when I picture a tree planted, I always picture like an oak tree by like meadows and like Bambi and like a beautiful imagery. I never imagined this in Jeremiah 17, that in the middle of a desert would be trees that are planted that when rivers crop up, they can store the water. That's incredible. Here, here's what's beautiful. Acacia trees are planted firmly in areas where they can make it through. Now, by the way, something else unique about the acacia tree, it's believed that the crown of thorns that Jesus wore, thorns actually grow on acacia trees, that the crown of thorns that was made that Jesus wore came from an acacia tree. And I can't prove that, but the Ark of the Covenant was acacia. The crown of thorns that Jesus had was acacia. 
And here in the middle of the wilderness, the Bible talks about a tree that's planted. It matters where you take root. And the reason I say that is that Paul several times says this when it comes to spiritual warfare. Stand firm. Where are you standing? So that when the enemy comes and attacks, where are you standing? And I would posit to you that in your life, that when the enemy comes, one of the reasons why we don't get victory in spiritual battles is because we're standing in the wrong place. Instead of actually standing on solid ground, we're actually standing in the sand. Jesus says, choose where you're gonna build your life. I would argue that a lot of spiritual victories come down to where have you planted your feet What do you really, really, really believe? And what you really believe, is it a firm foundation or is it not? Because that makes all the difference. Paul says, stand your ground, stand firm, so that when the attacks of the enemies come, you can withhold and withstand. It's all about where you stand. And where you stand determines where you fight. So maybe the reason why you're not getting victories is because you're standing in the wrong place. So let me give you a place you can stand, ready? And it's simply this. It's a phrase I've used many times as pastor. Faith is not wishing upon a star. Faith is not pretending that everything is okay. That's not what faith is. I grew up in church, in the charismatic world and in in the Baptist world. I went in both of those. and, And no one ever gave me a great definition of faith. You know what faith is? Faith is trusting that God is good no matter what you see. You don't have to pretend that everything's okay when it's not. That's not faith. You don't have to wish upon a star. That's not faith. You know what faith is? Faith says this. No matter what I see and comes my way, I will trust that my God is good. I will stand my ground because a lot of the attacks are gonna come at you. They're gonna come and try and derail you. They're gonna come tell you, listen, you're not gonna make it. You're not good enough. Your family's gonna be destroyed. Everything's gonna be broken up. Everything the enemy's gonna onslaught you and where you stand is gonna make all the difference. Do you believe that God is good no matter what you see? And here's the thing. In the moment, you may not see God's hand, but when you look back in the rearview mirror of your life, do you know what you see? He was always there. So here's how you fight spiritual battles. Look at where you're standing. What do you believe? What do you see? This is the key to victory. So I would argue and tell you, look at where you stand. That's what matters. Last, thank you. And I am out of time, but I'll wrap up with this one final thought, ready? When it comes to spiritual warfare, we need to learn to pray boldly for the things that we believe deeply. You will never pray boldly if you don't believe something with conviction. Now, I wanna unlock something for you, ready? And I've said this before, but again, it's helped me in my life. I'll bear witness that this has helped me. It is not the greatness of your prayers that changes things. Some of your prayers are downright, God, you there? And you can just talk to him. I think somewhere we think, you know what happens to us? And this is the enemy, by the way. God doesn't wanna hear me because I haven't been talking to him for a while and God might be mad at me. Listen to me. I wanna help you in your spiritual battles. Ready? It is not the greatness of your prayers. It is the greatness of God. Do you know what sets men free? 
the greatness of God. Do you know what sets the addict free? The greatness of God. Do you know what can restore marriages? The greatness of God. Do you know what can bring the prodigal home? The greatness of God. My point is, it is not the greatness of our prayers. It is the greatness of our God, whose name is high and above all other names. And Paul finishes and he says, would you pray for me that God would enable me to speak boldly the truth. So I would encourage you and I would challenge you when you go home, when the enemy wants to actually take your prayers from you by telling you, God doesn't want to hear you because he hasn't heard from you in a long time. You kind of fell off the wagon a little bit. He doesn't care about what you say. In the name of Jesus, it is not the greatness of your prayers. It is the name of Jesus written on your hearts. It is the greatness of him that transforms things. So do not let the enemy steal your prayers. Pray boldly for what you believe deeply. Let's pray. Amen. Ah, dear Heavenly Father, we pause. We pause because there are battles that need to be fought. And we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against an enemy who is much stronger than us. And yet, God, we are protected because while the enemy might be stronger than us, the enemy can't do anything to you. And you have come along us. You have indwelled us. You have been with us. And you that started something in us are faithful and just to complete it. And so, God, we turn and we say thank you that we can stand on a firm foundation in you, Jesus. Who else is like you? So may we, Lord, go into our afternoon and into our Monday and into our Tuesday and the spiritual battles that we might face, whether it's in our home, whether it's in our neighborhood, whether it's in our job environment, whether it's in our finances, Lord, that every spiritual battle that we would face, may we understand, God, that you have a plan and that you can make a way. And even when things go sideways, you tell us that you can work all things together for the good of those that love you. You're even awesome enough to take beauty from ashes. So may we not lose hope. May we lift our voice. May we put on your armor and may we walk with confidence because of what you have done for us. May our feet be planted firmly on firm foundation. We love you, Jesus. In your holy name we pray. Amen and amen. Church, if you have anything we can pray with you, over you, about, if you are in the midst of a spiritual battle, come down to the front. We'd love to pray with you. God bless you. Have an incredible Sunday. We love you. We'll see you guys next week. Thanks for listening to the Renovation Church Sermon Podcast. Find out more about following Jesus and building his kingdom at therenovation.church.